A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. You could call us something of a podcast sniping team, taking out all NPR suckers ahead of us. That would make me the spotter, which I like. Do you think so? You, you're the spotter? Yeah. I think I, I think I'd be a good sniper, actually. I think we could reasonably trade off with that. You know, I mean, wouldn't you eventually become envious? Like, you know, I, I, I'm tired of spotting. I want to pull the trigger. What's Man. it like? Like um, Michael Douglas's teenage daughter in traffic thinking about shooting heroin. You know, she starts out snorting it, ends up shooting it mm-hmm. just because she's around it so much. I imagine the same thing. Uh, happens to spotters. They eventually want to kill. I, I would just be good on the team. You know, I can, I could lay somewhere for hours at a time, without moving. I'm, I'm sneaky quiet around. You're the not house. allowed to be uh, asleep though. <laughs> uh, okay, that's right? a problem then. Yeah, it would be a problem. Yeah. So, Chuck, we're talking about military snipers. Mm-hmm. I have a slight intro for this one. All right, let's hear it. It's not really an intro. It's just an interesting. Uh, fact. Okay. And I don't even know if it's true. So fact's probably the wrong word. <laughs> but have you ever heard the, um, the old, uh, old adage, the old superstition that you're not supposed to light three cigarettes off of one match? I've never heard that actually. Well, it's a superstition. Okay. And it is established. It's a real thing. And apparently it has, uh, fairly recent origins. World War One, actually is, okay. is, is that recent. 20th century. Um, and it was based on the idea that if you're in a trench and you lit a match, you caught the attention of a sniper. Mm-hmm. You lit your first cigarette. The sniper takes aim with the second cigarette. And then when you're lighting the third cigarette, the sniper fires and that guy's dead. I like that. Yeah. I buy that. That's why it's bad luck to light three smokes off of one, one match. You know, a lot of those phrase origins are military in nature when you, when you go back and look at them. Mm-hmm. And I, I buy that one 100%. Like a wall. Yeah, that's military. It sure is. Army. Yeah. Silent Scope. You ever play that game? No, is it a sniper game? Yeah. Is it good? It's great. I, I mean, like it's the, a stand-up arcade game. I prefer the sniper rifle on um, GoldenEye. Yep, and I play uh, the Call of Duty game, and it's they have a sniper level where you have to take out this one guy mm-hmm. and account for the wind and all that, and it's thrilling to me is as, it? as a... Gun-hating, peace-loving, liberal hippie, mm-hmm. aging hippie. Yeah, 
I still love it, man. There's something about it. That's why little boys like playing with guns. Well, that's why you picked this article, uh, How Military Snipers Work This Week. Yeah, it's interesting. This is a Chuck Bryant special, meaning that you picked it, not that you wrote it. Right. Um, and uh, this was a Robert Valdez special, huh? Oh, yeah? This guy got to the bottom of it, interviewed an actual former Army Ranger sniper yeah, for that this really, article. Uh-huh, that enhanced it a lot, I think. Definitely. Uh, the guy was anonymous and everything. Yeah, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So um, let's talk about snipers, Chuckers. All right. right? Uh, there's a, I guess we can we can reveal the end, the button of the article. Right, that where the sniper wants everyone to know we're not just like these assassins. That happens once in a while, right? But very rarely, and we have many, many other jobs. And probably the biggest job that a sniper has is just reconnaissance. Yeah, like going and gathering information by being behind enemy lines and mm-hmm. spying on the enemy for days on end, yeah. and then reporting back what they see. Yep, that and they're highly, highly trained for that. They're not just Highly trained for shooting, they're highly trained observers too. Yeah, big time. And uh, but if duty calls, they can. Uh, if, if they don't have a specific assignment, like to take out whatever this general is, they uh, can have what they call uh, targets of opportunity. Is that what yeah. they call them? Yeah. And that's when they can really take the wind out of the sails of a battalion. If all of a sudden the the officer is standing there, then he's not standing there, or like the communications guy goes down. Or uh, just later even, on, even some dude doing yeah. like uh, you know guard duty. Yeah, or equipment. We found out later in this article actually, and we might as well spoil that. Yeah, that's a lot of times it's not even a human. That's a material target. Yeah, like blow up their generator or their ammunition bay or yeah. uh, just anything uh, that would wreak havoc. Agreed. And make their job harder. And then uh, I guess also because of this effect, the the effect that a sniper has is. Um, it, not just um, physical, e.g., you know, blowing someone away. Yeah, sure. But it's also mental, um, and oh, yeah. um, it has a, a real dampening effect on morale. I would imagine the psychological effect is probably pretty huge. Yeah, because, you know, one of the things about snipers is that you don't know they're coming, yeah. and you don't see, just all of a sudden the guy next to you is dead. Yeah. And that's going to shake you. Um, especially, like you said, when there's targets of opportunity, it happens randomly. Mm-hmm. Or when it's like a, a very well chosen person, like you said, like an officer. Right. Somebody who's like, you know, kind of the moral, spiritual leader of the team is suddenly dead. Yeah. That has a, a big effect, which makes um, snipers what are called force multipliers, meaning just a one or two people um, can have the effect of a, you know, a big platoon. Yeah. You know, charging in and, and shooting people. Yeah. And I, I know we say band name a lot, but if you're in a heavy metal band and your name isn't Force Multiplier, you might want to think about changing it. Yeah. Unless it's Mastodon. Yeah, they have a good name, don't That's they? That's a great name. Yeah. So, yes, they, uh, they're they actually trained to um, to spy on the enemy and, and learn who the officers are, which is, you know, you've always heard you're not supposed to salute in the field of battle because it's pretty much a dead giveaway. Right. But these guys are trained to look and stare and just, uh, you can tell, they can tell at least, who the higher ranks are by the way they carry themselves, by what they're doing, by the way they're acting. And they're trained to pick these people out and then pick these people off. Uh, Chuck, there's a couple of other um, 
assignments, I guess, a sniper can land or positions that they play roles. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. There's the famous Overwatch position where they're like up in a bell tower, a clock tower, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, with a, just a 360 degree view of the battlefield. That's just picking people off like, um, Pride of the Nation. Yeah. In, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. Or Saving Private like, Ryan. Yeah. Because remember, he took him out through the scope. Yeah, I remember. Only in the movies, but that was pretty cool. Yeah, only in the movies or World War Two. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and then uh, that that's called the Overwatch position. I don't remember if I said there or not. And then there's a blocking action, which is um, basically you are, uh, again, up on a roof, but it, instead you're helping to defend a position rather yeah. than maybe take it. Right. Right? Yeah. You're helping out your buddies that are in the hiding in the farmhouse below. Right. Because this is World War II, right? That's exactly <laughs> right. Do you want to go ahead and uh, reveal the big secret about snipers, the supposed lone gunman? It's not true. It isn't true. If you've seen the movie Shooter, did you see that with Marky Mark? No, I... I, I you hate him? <laughs> I don't hate him. No, I don't. I, I, I don't. I liked him in um, uh, Three Kings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen The Boxer yet, but I'm sure I'll like it. The Fighter, yeah. The same thing. Uh, and I have, uh, well, yeah. Well, Shooter is actually, I had very low expectations, and it ended up being a pretty decent movie. Mm-hmm. And um, it is buoyed by the great Levon Helm of the band, my favorite group ever. He's I, he's an actor in that. I thought Tom Berenger was it. Was no, it? no, 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 different movie. Oh. <laughs> I think that might have been called Sniper. Tom Berenger wasn't in that movie? No. So Lee, Lee Von Helm was the... He's the old-timer who uh, who apparently had something to do with the Kennedy assassination, too. Huh. Yeah, as a slide he joke. could act. Oh, yeah, man. He's been in lots of movies. Boogie Nights. Loved him in Boogie Nights. He was awesome <laughs> in that movie. Lee Von Helm? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Where but, are we? Yes, snipers work in teams, always. Yes. They never, ever, ever go alone. That's not the way that military sniper units act. Yeah. They are... Um, so much so that their sniper rifles are considered crew-served weapons. Yeah. Like a, um, you know, one of those heavy machine guns that's like belt-fed bullets. Yeah. That and it takes a guy to feed it bullets and yeah. one guy to shoot it. That's a crew-served um, weapon. Yeah. Obviously. Um, so is a sniper rifle, not because it takes two people to shoot it, but because it takes two people to shoot it accurately. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the whole point. It's true. It is. And uh, a spotter is, uh, from what we gather, sort of a sniper in training. Um, you will act as a spotter in the hopes that one day you will actually be the sniper and lead your own team. And the sniper, I mean, we're calling it a team. It's two dudes. Mm-hmm. The sniper team, or I'm sorry, the sniper on the team is is really the one in charge. They're yeah. the one that... He's the Levon Helms of the band. <laughs> Helm. They get the uh, orders uh, from from the, the higher-ups. They... Um, Determine like the best route to get there, the drop-off points, all that stuff. Right. And I guess we should go ahead and walk through the process because those are the first two steps. Okay, let's do it. You determine your drop-off point for your objective, which isn't going to be you know fifty yards away from your objective. It's going to be miles and miles away. Probably like a day's walk is a good bet. Yeah, you're going to spend a day walking there. Uh, you want to get a good setup position and and verify that you can camouflage that spot. Like you, you're always thinking ahead. When you're on your belly and you you want to move to your second position, you don't just say, "All right, that looks decent over there." You, you got to look at everything around it, mm-hmm. what's in your way to get there, because you're going to be belly crawling. Mm-hmm. And then when you get there, what you can use to camouflage yourself. Yep. Uh, they're going to establish an escape route. Very important. 
Yeah, and a fallback position in case you get uh, separated from your buddy. And then you got to locate your target, grab the gun, and get in position. Right. And um, getting in position after you locate the target is probably not what snipers do. They probably get in position and then locate the target. Yeah, I would say so. You know, if they're shooting somebody specific, like maybe they they arrive at the location of where they're, you know, yeah, going yeah. to be shooting the person or whatever. But you're going to sit there possibly for days on end. Yeah. And by sit, I mean lay flat on your stomach. What is that, prone or supine? Uh, I think prone. Prone? I think. I don't know. <laughs> Curses. So uh, the spotter is going to be on the ground uh, right next to and slightly behind you, basically trying to line up their spotter scope, which mm-hmm. is way more powerful even than the, the rifle scope, right. as close to the barrel of the gun as possible. Uh, yeah, in the same line as it. Yeah. And basically say, okay, I've got this guy, and he is um, a thousand meters away. Clicks. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, wind is blowing at like six yeah. knots from the northeast. It's, it's 65 degrees. It's got a barometric pressure and a temperature of this. The humidity level is this. Oh, you'd make a great spotter. See all that? Yeah. <laughs> so all that it comes into consideration when you're trying to, you know, you're shooting oftentimes from a thousand yards away. Yeah. A thousand yards. Dude. Well, remember, um, I think to become a sniper for Delta Force, remember, like it was fifteen hundred yards minimum. You had to, you had to have like eight or nine or ninety percent accuracy. Really? From fifteen hundred yards, we talked about it. Wow, that was a while ago, though. A new season of Bridgerton is here, and with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene. I've lost on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, the sniper, how do they... This is a cool thing, because I saw it on YouTube. This thing creates a vapor trail. The bullet does. Yeah, the spotter's not just, you know, watching. And also, we should should say that if you're there for days on end, 
um, the spotter and the sniper will probably trade off spotter duty just so one can get rest or something like that. And yeah, the other you get eye fatigue, get, too. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but yes, when the time finally comes and the shot is to be taken, mm-hmm. um, the spotter watches to make sure that the sniper hit the target. And like you're saying, a bullet, the bullets that they're firing out of these 50 caliber guns are 7.62 millimeters. Yeah. That's a big bullet. Those are the ones that look like missiles. Yeah. <laughs> they move through the air um, in such a way that they create a vapor trail. And the army ranger who was interviewed for this article says, like, it, it, it look, you can see through it, but it's distorted air. Yeah. Which I take to mean like the matrix. That's exactly what it looks like. Oh, you've seen it? Well, it's on YouTube. Yeah. Sweet. You can see, I mean, you gotta look, but you can see it and it looks like the Matrix thing and all the other movies that copied it is a, like hugely exaggerated. Right. Obviously, but it sort of looks like that. It looks like, uh, the abyss, the little blob from the abyss. Yeah. Traveling through the air. Cavitating the air. Is that the word? I think so. All right. Um, so yeah, then the spotter says, you missed. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't. Um, but if it does happen, the spotter says, okay, we need to move it this way a little bit. Yeah. Maybe down a little. Sure. Probably uses more specific jargon than that. <laughs> Maybe down a little. <laughs> right. And then another shot's taken and then another shot. Um, and the spotter is also going to be the one who's carrying like um, something like an M16 or an M4 or some other uh, assault rifle. Sure. Because if somebody comes up on you, as anyone who has ever played any video game, when you're in hand-to-hand combat or close combat, uh, the sniper rifle is the worst weapon to have of all. Yeah. Uh, you want the automatic assault rifle. That's what you want. And that's me in those games. I'm, I'm the one turning around fumbling, trying to reload <laughs> while the guy is just bashing the yep. face in or shooting me. Exactly. And uh, the relationship between these two guys is obviously very key because uh, they're spending hours and days and days at a time with each other in very close, quiet quarters uh, trust is huge, obviously, mm-hmm. because their lives depend on each other. And they usually don't have a lot of support from their unit. They're out there alone protecting their unit. And their unit and platoon is depending on them. If you screw up a lot of times, your platoon is, is not in good shape afterwards. So right. very high-pressure job. Right. They're doing recon or they're doing um, uh, spearhead demoralization through <laughs> selective assassination, something like that. Right. Um, so yeah, they're, they're like, if the sniper's out there, probably shortly after a platoon's going to be on their heels and the sniper has to relay whatever information he's taking in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if he screws up, it can be problematic. Sure. Um, you want to talk about the rifles? Yeah. They don't just pull a rifle off the shelf at Walmart and, and go hide in the woods. Although some guys have. Remember Simo Haya? Who? Simo Haya, the white death. Oh Yeah. Yeah, well, sure. He had a, his plain old bolt-action hunting, hunting rifle, and he From killed Walmart. 505 <laughs> people with it. It's true. Yeah. Uh, these days, Josh, it's a little more uh, specialized than that. Um, yeah. that. A lot of times it's called an M14 uh, with match-grade upgrades, and match-grade means that some professional gunsmith has honed this thing to within a gazentimeter. You like that? Mm-hmm. Of, of accuracy. <laughs> 
You you were waiting for a better reaction than that, weren't you? Didn't know if you thought that was a real word. So I think match grade means like um like a shooting match, like competition grade. Yeah, probably so. Um, because they they use very similar rifles for competition shooting. Yeah. Uh, where they're hollowed out. Yeah, that's Olympic. I never understood that. I love it though. The guys who ski and shoot. Yeah. What's the point of that? I don't know. I like it. They should add. Like, they should snowboard and shoot and just do all sorts of things. You know? <laughs> yeah. You go up the half pipe, then you stop and you take a couple of shots. Right. And... Yeah. Kite sailing and shooting. Yeah. You know? I'm sure there's some great history to that, but I don't know. See so, uh, <laughs> uh, match grade guns and also match grade, uh, handmade ammunition. So, I mean, it's all just like very detailed that like it's hollowed out. It's light. It's usually fiberglass because you don't want the wood to warp and, um, ends up being Extremely accurate. The barrel doesn't touch the yeah. the rest of the gun. I think this is cool. The free floating barrel. Yeah, it touches it as little as possible, uh-huh. so uh, that the initial explosion from the bullet being fired, causing the recoil in the barrel, that it doesn't kick as much. Yeah, and, and uh, adjust the rifle's accuracy. Yeah, disadjust it. Plus, move maladjust it. Any kind of movement's bad. Yeah, which is why they use um, more often than not bolt action rifles. Which had disadvantages in that you have to load a single round, shoot it, and then unload that shell, reload another round. But um, their motto was one shot, one kill. So mm-hmm. one shot is usually all you need. But uh, uh, they do sometimes use the semi-automatic rifles, but what you have there are shells flying out of the gun, which is not very smart. Right. Either way, you're going to be detected with movement, possibly. Like when yeah. you do the bolt action, right. that's moving. That flying shell, that's moving. But the um, automatic or semi-automatic rifles have more moving parts than a bolt action. Which means so snipers jam. tend to prefer bolt action. Yeah. Although they said they can, they're shoot, they're, it's their choice. Shooter's preference. Yeah. Snipers, snipers' choice. <laughs> Between eight and fifteen grand, these things cost. Yeah. It's kind of pricey. Yeah. But they look really cool. Yeah, they do. Uh, did we talk about the scope? Uh, no, we haven't yet. I mean, we talked about how the um, the spotter has a superior scope. Right. Uh, but, yeah, the scope on a sniper rifle usually has about a 10-time uh, magnification power. It's just, you know, a telescope, a high-powered telescope, mini-telescope, sorry, with um, crosshairs on it. Yeah. Called uh, reticules, right? Is that what it, how it's pronounced? A targeting reticule, reticulation, reticule. Okay. I didn't know how it was pronounced. I kept saying reticule. reticula, and then I thought it was reticule. No, reticule. Uh, what you're looking at when you're aiming, though, like we said, there's all sorts of variances in the wind and everything that will change the path of your bullet. But um, you're looking at the point of aim and the point of impact. And if you're firing from 600 yards away, it's not going to be what you're aiming at. And this is accurate even in that uh, Call of Duty game. Like, you aim at the dude's head, and then you end up shooting like three feet to the right of him, and everyone goes, what was that? Right. And then it's over. What's over? Well, that little round is over. If you don't get the guy, you're done. You can't get off at a second shot. What happens? Uh, I think you got to start over. Oh. So They don't come at you or anything like no, that? No, no, they come at you, and oh, okay. then you start over eventually. But So you have to aim, over-aim a lot of times because of things like gravity, and that was the fact of the show to me. The gravity one? If you drop a bullet, if you aim a gun, a sniper rifle, and then uh, shoot it level to the ground and you drop a bullet at the same height as the barrel, they're both going to hit the ground at the same time. Because of gravity. That's crazy. That's the fact of the show for sure. Yeah. 
Um, Chuck, what you're talking about can be adjusted for in the scope. Yeah. Through the uh, ballistic drop compensator, which is a little dial. So you don't have to go redo your whole scope settings and all that. You can just adjust it up or down or left or right just a little bit. Right. To compensate for gravity and um, the other, like, wind. Yeah. And that's what you see them doing. Yeah. They're like, you know, wind at two knots. You see Marky Mark go, click. That's all you need to do. That's it. One little click. Gun shoots itself. (laughs) Not true. Um, And then there's also these things called ghillie suits, which um, anytime you see a sniper or you don't see a sniper and then all of a sudden he stands up. Yeah. From the leaves and brush and all that. Right in front of you. And he's wearing what looks like leaves and brush. Uh That's called a ghillie suit, which has a pretty cool little history to it. I like it. Go ahead. So uh, ghillies um, were the Irish game wardens, Scottish game wardens from days of yore. Uh, And basically their job was to keep an eye on the um, landowner's um, game, Mm -hmm. right? Wild game that he liked to hunt. Um, And... The ghillie once in a while would uh, have to basically catch a deer or something like that, say, bring it back to the castle for the landowner to hunt in a mock hunt and kill the deer. Yeah. But he couldn't just kill the deer and bring it. He had to bring it alive. So this meant days of stalking a deer, staying completely silent, camouflaging himself with stuff found in the in the local environment. Right. And then waiting for a deer to walk by and jumping on it, grabbing it. <laughs> Can you imagine these dudes? And then dragging it back to the castle for this mock hunt. Wow. Yeah. So think about how despised the nobleman must have been for his little mock hunt yeah. in between glasses of sherry <laughs> yeah, yeah. of a deer that the ghillie caught with his bare hands after right. waiting two days <laughs> for it to walk past him, you know? And then they just kill the deer, like when they bring it in, because like his gout and is flaring up, so yeah. he can't even get out of his chair. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's like early internet hunting. Oh yeah, God, they outlawed that pretty quickly. Thank goodness, because it was awful. I almost had to write an article on that. Did you get out of it? Yeah, I refused. Really? I said, you know what? I'm not even going to put this out there as something that exists. And they <laughs> went, you know what? You may be right on this one. And then like two weeks later, they outlawed it. Controlling the flow of information, huh? No, you know. Nice. I didn't want. I didn't want it happening. Yes, I stopped internet hunting single-handedly. <laughs> single-handedly. <laughs> so uh, the ghillie suit is what they call what the sniper wears now because of that cool history, and it's uh, usually like really reinforced on your torso because you're going to be crawling a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, probably padded to help you out with comfort, and even though it's not like you're really comfortable. It's padded for comfort. Padded for comfort. And you got a netting all over you so you can work in twigs. Like what you don't want are straight lines like the antenna from your radio or the muzzle of your gun because nature doesn't have straight lines like that. Right. So they make ghillie suits for their guns. Yeah. Um, I, can't you see them having like a, a special ops barracks like ghillie suit contests? Right. Like who's got the best <laughs> one? Ooh, that's elaborate, you know? Yeah, yeah. I can't believe you worked that rock into it. Well, and when I envision that that skit, they like are putting the metal around the winner, and then a guy just rises up behind him that they never even <laughs> saw. <laughs> he comes off of the back of his ghillie suit <laughs> and steals his metal. Yeah. A new season of Bridgerton is here, and with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. 
Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, well, speaking of special ops, these are special ops teams, and uh, sniper teams are. Right. All a part of special operations. Sure. And they uh, train all the time. If they're not training specifically for a mission, they're studying the mission, and their goal is to know every single thing about everybody on that mission. Right. And memorize it, because if you're caught, you don't want to have paper saying, these are our signals, these are our call signs, or whatever. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because <laughs> I, I could just think, you know, like being caught with a paper, like, this is Corporal Todd <laughs> right. Thompson's call sign. Yeah, yeah. Ace, you know? <laughs> And then the enemy's like, this, who's this Todd Thompson? Why'd he get ace? That's the coolest one. Right. It's because he's the best one. Yeah. Uh, the USMC is known, even though all military branches have sniper teams and mm-hmm. schools, mm-hmm. the Marines are obviously, because they're the Marines, they have what's known as the best school, the USMC Scout Sniper School. And the Marines actually may have been the origin of the snipers in the U.S. military. Oh, yeah? Yeah, the Leathernecks, the original guys who used to ride around in the 18th century on ships, were um, often tasked with basically sniping from crow's nests ah. um, other people on other ships during battles. I don't think I knew what the Leathernecks were. Yeah, they're Marines. Well, I knew that, but I didn't know that it went back that far. Yeah, 19th, 18th century, 1700s. Well, back then, they actually had necks made of leather. Right. That's pretty cool. Human leather. (laughs) Um, It is the best school, like I said, and if you get in, even fewer graduate because it's not just about uh, being a good shooter. You have to have the right temperament. You have to be calm and not like some hothead. Yeah. You have to have confidence in your decisions. Confidence in your your spotter. Yeah. As this... this, um, Sniper who was interviewed for the article said he, he basically like you can't just be calling back like, can I shoot this guy or you have to make the decision and make the right decision and yeah. have confidence in your decision so that you can say, I am going to shoot this guy. Yeah, works well alone in their little report card growing up. 
was probably a key yeah. for a future sniper. So it's a two-month course, Josh, here at the Marine Corps. Uh, they train in three main um, disciplines, yeah. mar- marksmanship, obviously, right? observation, and stalking. Yeah. And let's talk about, can we talk about the games? Yeah, I think we should, like the Kim's game. Yeah, I didn't see what that stood for. Uh, I don't know why they made it all caps, because it's, um, it's named after a Rudyard Kipling book, Kim. Oh, so it's not a... Uh, a boy's name. Oh, okay. Um, and he was an Irish orphan who grew up in India and was trained in intelligence. Really? And in the book, they would give him um, trays of like stones and gems and, and give him a minute to look at it and then take it away and say, what did you just see? Ah. So that's what the Kim's game is. It's very similar to that. It's based on that. Well, go ahead and explain it then. Well, it teaches observational skills, right? Yeah. And basically, um, with this game, uh, uh, the guys in sniper school are presented a tray and it has, you know, 15, 20 things on it. Yeah. And they're told to look at it for, you know, 30 seconds or a minute or something. And then the tray's removed and they say, what did you see? And say, there was a paper clip, right? You can't say, well, there was a paper clip because they want to leave it to the guys who are analyzing the intelligence you're sending back to determine what it was you saw. So you say, well, I saw a a piece of wire bent around into um, an oval three times or something like that. Do you think they ever send back and say, uh, that's a paperclip? Right, you can just say paperclip. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and then as, as school goes along, the, the training, this observational training through the Kim's game apparently gets more and more difficult where they show you something in the morning, then you go out and practice all day. Yeah. And then at night, they say, write down what you saw this morning. Yeah, and they'll add more things and give you less time to look at it to begin with. Right. Because when I first read it, I was like, that's not too hard. It's like a wine cork and a paper clip and uh, and a CB radio. Done. But then as it gets harder, I was like, oh, there's a method here. Right. And not being able to call something what you know it is. Yeah, true. Like how would you describe a uh, a wine cork? I would say I have thousands of these around my home. <laughs> no. Your lungs are coated with the dust of them. I, I could say it's a cork in a, uh, a spherical cork with a, a red stain on one end. It would be tubular, wouldn't it? Tubular? Yeah, it wouldn't be spherical. It wouldn't be conical. And then right now there's someone standing behind us with a gun. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We'd be the worst sniper team ever, actually. Um, And then another another good game, I guess you could call it, is um, how they train to stalk, right? Yeah, that is really cool. So stalking is moving from, say, your drop zone or wherever to the, the place where you're going to set up. Without being identified, without being seen or noticed. Yeah. But you have to make your way there, and there may or may not be people watching you or able to see you. Right. But you need to get to the point you need to get to, so you have to practice that. That's called stalking, and they practice it by basically saying, okay, here's a nice grassy field. Mm -hmm. Um, You guys stay here, and we're going to put two people a 1,000 meters away, and we're going to look for you. And you need to make it within 150 meters of us. Without us seeing you. And they're looking for you. Like Not only that, time. they have two people out there in the field looking for you, walking around. Yeah, yeah. So apparently that's like real life on hyperdrive that never, ever would happen. Right. But I guess the idea is if you can pass that, then you know, you'll be fine out in the field. Yeah, it's like wearing ankle weights. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. And then they have to take a shot from the 150 meters with blanks, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then they have to move from that position. They have to take the shot without being detected and then move from that position to another position 
and take another shot without being detected. Yeah. Wow. Which apparently you very rarely, if ever, move to another position and take a second shot. And you definitely are never within 150 meters of your target. Yeah, so they overtrain, which right. is a good thing. Uh, another little game they play is is just strictly observational from a distance. They will hide things in a field, very small things, like a ballpoint pen hanging from a little shrubbery brush, and you get out there with your spotter, with your scope and binoculars, and you got to pick this stuff out. Yeah. And basically just canvas, you know, he said that the guy in here said you just block off one little small, tiny block at a time, stare at it through your binoculars for five minutes, then move on to the next little block Yep. until you find something. Yeah. And Chuck, you were talking about when they were um, with like, gravity is one of the biggest problems for accuracy, right? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a, um, a, me- a unit of measurement that uh, snipers use to adjust for these variables. It's mm-hmm. called um, minute of angle, MOA. Yeah. And um, apparently 1.047 inches um, for every 100 yards is the uh, the inaccuracy that's going to develop as the bullet travels, right? Yeah, so if you're a 1,000 yards away, like they say you can be or more, you could potentially be off by 10 inches, which means you could potentially miss your target altogether yep. unless you account for wind and humidity and barometric pressure and temperature. Temperatures, I thought this was very interesting. Cold air is denser, which means it creates more drag, right? Yeah. Which is pretty cool. You have to account for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other one... Um, Depending on your distance, um, someone may or may not hear you. That's I thought this is pretty very cool. cool. If so, you're 600 yards away or more, yeah. potentially you are not going to even hear that little sonic boom crack because the bullet leaves the muzzle at the speed of sound. Yeah, You won't even hear that. So you could be 800 meters away and dudes could be standing there. And that's when you see in the movie that they see the little puff of dirt behind them. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, what, what was, was that? that? <laughs> yeah. So 600 meters is where the 7.62 millimeter round is dragged into subsonic speed, meaning it travels less than the speed of sound. Right. Meaning it makes a sound where anything over that is, like you said, suddenly there's just bullets appearing. And the guy uh, who was interviewed from this had a great quote. He said, um, uh, you can uh, basically just take shots at somebody. And then the guy who was interviewed for this article had this great quote. He said, if you're shooting at a target 800 or 1,000 meters out, you could be shooting at that person all day long, and they don't even know they're being shot at. Why are these oil cans exploding? (laughs) (laughs) He hates these oil cans. He hates them. Uh, Yeah, that's pretty cool, and that's a a very good place to end because the goal of the sniper is to not get caught. So they want to get as far away as they can from the target while still being within an accurate range. Yep. Done. Done. You got anything else? I got nothing else. Military snipers, if you were expecting, like, the DC sniper or um, Charles, what was his name, Whitman? Yes. Uh, They're not military snipers. Although Charles Whitman was in the military. He was in the Marines. Remember in Full Metal Jacket? Yeah, wasn't Oswald, too, or no? Yeah, he was a Marine, too. There you have it. Yeah. I think they were both sharpshooters, too. There you have it. Well, okay. Those are... uh, Okay, well, they made an appearance then, all right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you want to know more about snipers, um, you should type in snipers in the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. It has some cool flash games inside of it, uh, very cool links and cool pictures. And if you're into that kind of thing, you're going to love this article. 
Uh, that's snipers in the search bar at howstuffworks.com. Since I said that, it's time for listener mail. Josh, I'm going to call this uh, from a fan with MS, multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. I have a very, very good friend of mine that uh, has MS. Oh, yeah? And was afflicted with it later in life in his late 20s, I believe. It's very sad. Okay. But uh, so she writes, um, uh, Josh and Chuck, perhaps I could tell you about the fact that I've been living with MS for over 22 years and I founded a nonprofit called Soft Serve Matters that will empower people with chronic illnesses. But maybe I should lead with, I was listening to Is Bhutan Onto Something with their gross national happiness? Because mm-hmm. I feel the need to tell you, I believe that some people are just born with the happy gene. I am living proof of that, having started it in kindergarten. Um, in spite of the fact that I have a decreasing, uh, have had decreasing abilities since my 20th birthday and a six-figure debt that my husband and I accrued while getting our advanced degrees, I am uber happy. Wow. Or maybe it's just in denial. <laughs> Through all of these challenges, my default is happy, happy, joy, joy. I made that reference just to amuse you. It did. Uh, it may have something to do with the fact that I come from a family of armchair comedians and married a man based on his humor alone. Well, not really, but doesn't that sound good? Uh, we have a nine-year-old who is freaking hysterical. Nature or nurture, I ask? Uh, I'll go with nature since it supports my theory, though clearly nurture is a major player. So while I figure out the approach to email you guys, <laughs> let me just say I love your work. And for the administrative section of this email, I implore you to check out these links. And she has a blog that I would like to plug, and it is MSLOL. <laughs> .wordpress.com. That's awesome. And that is Amy G. And Amy, like I said, my really good friend Billy has MS, so it's a very uh, dear-to-my-heart cause. And uh, anything we can do to help you spread the word, just email us back and we'll do so. Cool. That was a good one, Chuck. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for uh, being an armchair comedian yourself. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, And I guess thanks to your whole family for that, really. Husband? Kid? Yeah. If you find something funny that other people may not, we love that stuff and we want to hear about it. Um, send us an email with it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Ready, set, griddle this grilling season. Get the Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle with a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge. It reaches up to 500 degrees, and the Weber Works Prep Cook and Store System keeps cooking supplies handy. You can carry all the food, condiments, and utensils you need. So get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. 